This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 792. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 792. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Hello, shameless moms. Happy Monday. Today's episode is a little ironic. It's about perfectionism and specifically perfectionism as a patriarchal social construct. I'm really excited to dig into this. I did some research that was really fun. I honestly researched for too long because I had a deadline to record this by and I missed it because I was really into the research part because this is really, really fascinating. So I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. But the ironic part is I'm doing an episode on perfectionism and I had to get out of my own perfectionism in order to hit record because right when I sat down to record, a jackhammer started in my neighborhood and it's like right on my street, probably, I don't know, it's like in front of my neighbor's house, like one house down from me. And it's it's a lot. So you might hear some jackhammering. You might hear some like reverse beeping, like when a semi reverses and it beeps, there's a lot of that going on too. So we're going to go with it. This is me being an example to you of how to not let perfectionism get in your way and doing the thing anyways, and letting something be B minus work instead of A plus work and recognizing that done is better than perfect because when we can just do the thing and get it done with, it gets out in the world and actually has impact rather than not getting the thing done because we're waiting for the perfect time, not getting the thing out in the world and not actually having any impact. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, perfectionism. And I know that 
as moms and as women, like none of us are strangers to perfectionism and how it shows up in our lives in different ways. Some of us maybe take pride in being a perfectionist. In fact, I was just on a call with some members last week, members of our community, and one of them was talking about how when she joined our community five years ago, she took a lot of pride in being a perfectionist because she thought that was something aspirational and it meant like you really care and you really want to do a good job and of course you would want to do that, right? And then she recognized over time that being a perfectionist was actually her getting in her own way and it was holding her back and all these other things. And then she recognized like, oh, wait, should I be ashamed of being a perfectionist? No, no, no. You should not be ashamed of being a perfectionist. But I do want you to recognize how perfectionism might be getting in your way and where does it come from? This is the part that I think is really, really important. What is your perfectionism rooted in? Because if we can recognize, especially where social perfectionism is rooted, then I think we can more easily get out of our own way and get over the perfectionism hump in order to do great things in the world. And also just like chill out and relax a bit. (laughs) Maybe even not do great things in the world, but like let ourselves off the hook for having to make everything picture perfect all the time. So you know by now that I could talk all day long about how women are programmed by the patriarchy to show up in really specific ways that primarily and maybe even almost exclusively benefit white men. This is not like if you know anything about the patriarchy, that's, you know, that's what it's all about. But I also want to be really clear when I say the patriarchy, and when I have the patriarchy in an episode title, I am talking about patriarchy as a system that is not only harmful to women, but it also undermines men and actually really stunts the emotional development of men. And this is a system that does not benefit many people at all. So this is not about me saying like, all the men are doing this to us and look at the results and blah, blah, blah. It's really about the system that was organized intentionally, set up intentionally to benefit only a few people. And those few people have the most tremendous power on a global level. And so I think it's important that we look at when we talk about the patriarchy, not only how it's harmful to women, but also how it undermines men, because this is not just about a big feminist rant to bash men. It's really looking at a whole structure that is harmful on a societal level. So our patriarchal society has created a ton of social constructs that have led us to unknowingly behave in certain ways that benefit some people, most often men, while holding others back including but not limited to women, people of color, members of the LGBTQIA plus community, people with neurodiversities, people with disabilities, people living in larger bodies. And so this system was set up so that some people benefit and others are intentionally held back. And those others who are intentionally held back, what do you think we're all doing? We're trying to figure out how to not be held back anymore. And we are also carrying around this notion that it is our fault that we haven't gotten further. And this very incorrect notion that it is our fault that we haven't gotten further is what really messes with our mind. And so that's where we get in the way in our own way with imposter syndrome. We think, oh, like I just need to try harder or I am not obviously not good enough or worthy enough to do this thing because otherwise I would have already gotten further along. And that's not true. That is imposter syndrome as an intentional social construct that was designed to hold certain people back and make them think less of themselves because that benefits a few people. If a whole population of people, women, think less of themselves and hold themselves back because they feel like imposters, who does that benefit? It benefits all the men, right? It lets them 
continue to have way more space than us and they get to decide what is done in that space. What are the decisions made? Who's going to be in power? How are things going to move forward? Who are we going to take power from to make sure that we can maintain our power? All of those kinds of things. So I've talked about this over the years as it relates to mom guilt as a social construct, as it relates to imposter syndrome as a social construct. These two specifically, these are social constructs that are part of the system that it intentionally makes women and moms behave in certain ways that ultimately limit how they show up in the world. And these limitations create more space for the people in power, i.e. men, to have more opportunities to find success and build wealth and amass power. I'm going to say that part again. These limitations that are put on us by a system, but we also adhere to uh, subconsciously most for the most part, create more space for others, mostly men, to have more opportunities to find success, build wealth, and amass power. So when you look at the people who have had the most success, built the most wealth, and amassed the most power, like who is that? As much as I would like it to be, you know, a whole population of moms, is that's not who it is. So I recently started doing a lot of thinking on perfectionism as a social construct, given the work that I've done with women and with leaders over the last seven or so years, and noticing how it came up in lots of different contexts, and also noticing how perfectionism holds us back in often subtle ways where we don't see it, but it's very insidious. And these small, subtle ways actually lead to a big, huge problem. And when I started to think this through, I thought there has to be research on this. Like I can't be the only one thinking that perfectionism is actually more of a social construct than something that you're born with. And we're gonna dig into that in a minute. So I went to the research, I found the research, and in today's episode, we're gonna be talking about perfectionism as a social construct. And we'll dig into different forms of perfectionism. And we'll also talk about how you can start rejecting perfectionism in order to get out of your head and get on with your life and go do the things you wanna do. Whether that is, like I said earlier, going and having a bigger impact or just chilling out and relaxing and letting yourself strive for not always having to get an A plus on everything that you do. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy, you go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great, you'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 
So let's dig into the research. So I did some research through NYU, New York University, and then also through the Harvard Business Review. I found a few other sources, but those two sources were really where I got the crux of the research and information that we're going to talk about today, because I found some really great sources that incorporated pretty much everything I was finding everywhere else. So when I went and looked through the research from NYU, this was from their Applied Psychology Opus from 2023. And they talk about the multi-dimensional measures of perfectionism. And they acknowledge five different categories of the construct of perfectionism. So those five different dimensions are personal standards, the standards that you hold yourself to, concern over mistakes. So you make a mistake and you're like, oh my gosh, I should have done that better. I could have done that better. Everyone's going to be judging me. They're going to think I'm stupid. Parental expectations. So this is a nature versus nurture thing, like how you were nurtured and what you were told. A lot of us were probably told like practice makes perfect. (laughs) Uh, Doubting of actions. So that actually can also be concern over mistakes, right? But you're doubting something. So you do something and you're like, oh, I don't know. Like, was it good enough? Or I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. That wasn't my place and organization. And so when we're thinking about perfectionism and organization, it's going to be like in your spaces and like, do you have a tidy workspace? And do you, you know, is your house a disaster? No judgment on either wherever you fall on that spectrum, but perfectionism can definitely exist in that organizational sense in terms of um, spatial organization. And I guess also mental organization. I mean, it can apply to organization in many, many different levels um, because there's a lot of ways that we organize things. What I'm thinking of right now is like people's desktops. And you know, like when you have to do a share screen and or someone you're sitting next to someone collaborating on something and they see your desktop and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed because their desktop, this is my husband and I, his desktop has like two folders on the desktop that he somehow has been able to like compartmentalize his life into two, his whole digital life into two folders. My desktop is 1 million folders, but also 1 million like PDFs and docs and sheets and like all these things that I don't know what folder to put them in. So they just live on my desktop forever because I don't organize them into folders because the categorization is too much decision fatigue. So that can, that's also part of the organization of perfectionism, right? Or the, how uh, perfectionism can impact organization. So in addition to these individual components, these five individual dimensions of perfectionism, perfectionism is also broken down into three main types. And this was like across multiple areas of research that I was able to find. So our three main types of perfectionism are self-oriented perfectionism, perfectionism, other-oriented perfectionism, and socially prescribed perfectionism. So we're going to talk through this, these three different components, but we're really going to hone in on that last socially prescribed perfectionism piece because that's the one that's really important here. So quickly, self-oriented perfectionism focuses entirely on the self. So this is perfectionists who are self-oriented, self-motivated to set specific personal standards, and they evaluate, judge themselves, gauge themselves um, based on these high standards. So if their expectations are not met, then self-blame ensues and they would, you know, it's all their fault and they should have tried harder. But people on the outside might not even know that (laughs) you're holding yourself to the standard. So you might be very internally disappointed in yourself, but like the person next to you doesn't know that you were intending to do more than you did. I think about this a lot with watching 10-year-olds learn how to play baseball. And there's a lot of self-oriented perfectionism where the parents are like, oh my gosh, like you got, you know, you made it to first base, but the kid is like, I should have made it to second <laughs> or I should have made, it wasn't a home run. So it's not, it's not good. And only if it's the very best, is it good enough? 
But we can also see how in our own work, that can hold us back as well when we're just sitting there judging ourselves and setting really high personal standards. And then when those aren't met, what does that do to our mental health? What does that do to how we show up in the world when we're sitting in a place of self-blame and shame? So other-oriented perfectionism is a display of perfectionist standards directed towards others. So this is where we hold other people to unrealistically high standards and harshly evaluate the people to whom that perfectionist behavior or expectations are placed or directed. So if you are someone that watches someone else, and you this, I feel like this happens the more closely related to someone you are, the more likely this form of perfectionism is, is going to show up. So perhaps you're a really organized person and you have a sibling and you were when you were growing up, like their room was always a disaster and yours was always neat and tidy. And you judge them very harshly for that. Or maybe you have a coworker who is like always five minutes late with 18 things in their hands, which by the way, I would be that coworker. And you're like, yeah, like they clearly do not have their act together. But then those of us who are like that, by the way, we have really good ideas in meetings. <laughs> so, so give us a chance. But that orient, other-oriented perfectionist holds others to very, very high standards. Now, I will say, I hold people to really, really high standards. And I get really, really frustrated when they don't meet that. But it's mostly people in my closest circles. And so whether it is how people treat people, how people do, if people do things the way I do them or different ways, if people show up for me in the same way that I showed up for them, these are the ways that I have other-oriented perfectionism and pass judgment on people. And I have to stop because you know what? It's me wasting a lot of energy being disappointed in people for the most part, which is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> and so I've really, really tried to work on that over the years to varying degrees of success. But it's really important that we recognize where we, the standards that we hold others to. If you're at all familiar with the Enneagram, Enneagram ones, we really struggle with other-oriented perfectionism. We also have a lot of self-oriented perfectionism, and I'm saying this as someone who rates high on the one scale for the Enneagram, but we have a lot of other-oriented perfectionism, which can make us not always the most fun person to be in a super close relationship with because we can be highly annoyed by other people's habits. And then the other type of perfectionism, this is where we're really going to dig in, is socially prescribed perfectionism. And this is externally derived. So this is perfectionism where people believe that others in their lives will judge them strictly and that they will bear the burden of living, having to always live up to other people's expectations. And so this is where we get into how were we socially and culturally raised and how what were the rules in that society spoken and unspoken that gave us permission or didn't give us permission to do certain things or set standards that for us things had to be done in a certain way differently perhaps than others and this is where women and perfectionism and the social construct of perfectionism really really come into play so this is where we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to succeed in different ways and look good in different ways and be successful in different ways. And it often, often puts us in a position of overdoing, overproducing, overproving ourselves to try to get where we want to go. And we often do that and waste huge amounts of time and energy to do that. And we don't get nearly as far as other people who innately in this system of power already have way more power and way more resources. So we can never actually catch up. We never actually have a legitimate chance, but we think if I just try harder, if I just do it a little bit better, if I'm just a little bit more perfect, if I just do a little bit more, 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 I can get there. But 
oftentimes we can. This is where we see women losing opportunities, missing out on opportunities, never being offered a spot, an opportunity to like get to the table or put in, you know, say what they want to say or contribute to a project or the world uh, because you haven't been given the same resources to take up space in the same way or have enough power to actually even get to the, the seat at the table or to have a voice or a vote. So when we look at all this, we have to look at this really, really important piece. When we look at the labeling of these dimensions and the types of perfectionists, we have to recognize that when we further pathologize perfectionism, when we embrace it and we label it and we talk about like, I have perfection, I'm a perfectionist, so blah, 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 blah. That's just me being perfectionistic. When we do that, rather than addressing the societal structure around perfectionism that might be linked to such a dominance and prevalence of this behavior amongst women and other marginalized groups, then we're missing the point. We are spinning our wheels. In other words, we are only describing the problem further. We're not addressing the source, holding anyone responsible for that or advocating for any change in the system that actually makes things better. This is the same thing with with imposter syndrome. When we pathologize imposter syndrome and we say, oh, I have imposter syndrome or that person has imposter syndrome and we aim it at like, oh, they need, that's something that you need to fix. Like you need to get over your own imposter syndrome or you need to get over your own perfectionism. That's on you. When we do that and we leave it on the individual to fix the problem, but the problem imposter syndrome, perfectionism is actually a direct result of a system that was intentionally built to allow others to rise to the top while ensuring others could not, no matter how perfectionistic they were or are, then we're actually contributing to the problem. So if you're pathologizing your imposter syndrome or you're pathologizing your perfectionism without addressing that this is actually a systemic problem, this isn't me needing to fix myself, this is a system that needs to look at how people are given opportunities, what people people are given resources, what resources are they given, then we can actually look at what is the system and how can we break down the system that is really, really dysfunctional and extremely harmful for anyone carrying any sort of marginalized identity. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and 
I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. When we look at research from the Harvard Business Review around perfectionism and how social perfectionism shows up or socially prescribed perfectionism shows up, we can start to even look back in younger student people, student age and college students and see how this starts to get ingrained at really young ages. And so there was a study of 41,641 American, Canadian, British college students um, that was run through the Harvard Business Review. And between 1989 and 2016, they were able to to gauge that college students' levels of self-oriented, socially prescribed, and other-oriented perfectionism all increased by statistically significant amounts. So our society is making us more and more perfectionistic. On top of that, the most concerning trends that they documented in the study and in the analysis is that socially prescribed perfectionism is the one that's growing at a more rapid rate. So during this study from 1989 to 2016, it's this is the form of perfectionism that increased at twice the rate of self-oriented or other-oriented perfectionism. So we know that socially prescribed perfectionism is actually what is growing and manifesting and then by default, creating more harm than self-oriented and other-oriented. So the system that holds perfectionism to be a value and that is very systematically keeping certain people in power and certain people without, it's getting worse. It's growing. And those of us who embrace being perfectionistic or are holding ourselves to certain standards because we think that we need to overdo, overprove, overproduce, overcommit, and do all these things to try to get where other people, where we think we might be able to get because we see other people there, but in reality, we're never going to be given the resources to get the, that same distance, then we that is only getting worse. And we're continuing to uphold that system by engaging in the system subconsciously, like we're not recognizing that we're doing this. So this is also the form, form of perfectionism. So, uh, socially prescribed perfectionism is also the form that exhibits the largest association with all dimensions of mental health issues, including anxiety, depression, social phobia, and suicidal thoughts. This piece is so, so critically important that we now have socially prescribed perfectionism. As a society, as a culture, we uphold perfectionism in a way that is directly contributing and rapidly accelerating mental health issues, including anxiety, depression, social phobia, and suicidal thoughts. So the increase in prescribed perfectionism is a really compelling, if not obvious, backdrop for epidemic levels of mental health in young people, mental health illness in in young people. So what does this actually look like? I want you to think about what this looks like for you, and then we're going to talk about solving it. I'm going to talk about solving it in a way that is not just about you overcoming perfectionism, but it's also about you really recognizing that this is a systemic problem. This is a cultural phenomenon. This is a social construct. And what is your responsibility around that? So as we're talking about this, please, please continue to recognize that while I'm talking really specifically about women versus men, other marginalized populations that struggle with perfectionism because society is set up to make them overprove, overproduce, overdue to get the same things that are automatically or much more easily handed to others are greatly, greatly impacted. So it's not just women. It's also, and more greatly, people of color, members of the LGBTQIA community, 
people with physical disabilities, people with differently wired brains, learning disabilities, ADHD, autism, people living in bigger bodies, older people, seniors, people with less income or social status. So it's anywhere where we see marginalized groups, we're going to see people trying to overprove, overdo, and try to keep up to the people that have all of the resources or are automatically getting all the power. So what does this look like in your life? Perhaps perfectionism to you looks like spending too long working on marginally productive, if not insignificant activities before you give yourself permission to move on. So an example of this would be me looking at a, uh, writing a Facebook post and then rereading it and editing it. And instead of a Facebook post taking me like three minutes to post, it's now taken me 30 minutes because I'm trying to find exactly the right word and exactly the right sentence structure and the perfect picture to put with the post. So that's, it's like the Facebook post, it's not going to change my life or anyone else's in that big of a way. And yet, instead of spending three minutes on it, I've spent 30 minutes on it. And what could I have done in that other 27 minutes that would have moved my business along, that would have allowed me to have a conversation with a friend, that would have allowed me to have quality time with a loved one. Like the things that could have happened in that time, in that 27 minutes that I worked finessing my Facebook post, what else could I have done? So that's how that can show up. Um, The Facebook, you know, the social media is just one example, but you're spending a lot of time on something that doesn't really matter that much before you give yourself permission to move on. And in your mind, you are like, you think it's a big deal in the moment. But then you look back, you're like, that was insignificant. Like what? Like seven people liked it? Who cares? <laughs> like It doesn't matter. And there's so many different ways that we do that. We do that often for things that people never see. You might do this in like organizing your closet. Who's looking in your closet? Nobody. Like no one's looking to see how well you folded your fitted sheet. But how long do you spend folding that fitted sheet and trying to make it look great? I'm like I'm in the habit of you just stuff it in. You just stuff it. Stuff it so that it doesn't fall out when you open the door. It's all good. <laughs> So next is maybe you are avoiding challenges in order to avoid failure. This was a huge part of my life for the first 20 plus years of my life. Avoiding challenges, avoiding things that are new in order to avoid failure. I'm not going to do something unless I'm really good at it, unless I know I can do it well. So this held me back from doing any extracurriculars. I've talked about this on the show before. I didn't do any extracurriculars. I didn't try new things. I didn't try drama. I didn't try music. I didn't try, I tried to like music for 10 minutes. I tried piano for a year, but I would only practice if no one was in my house. Like that's perfectionism right there, right? Um, I didn't try any sports. I didn't try like debate team, nothing, nothing, nothing. So I was like, no, I'm just really good at math. So I'm just going to like really do well on my homework. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So avoiding challenges to avoid failure, how does that ultimately hold you back? If you are avoiding challenges in order to avoid failure and non-perfectionists, i.e. men, are not avoiding those challenges because they're not afraid of failure and they're not afraid of looking like they did something wrong, then who is making progress during all that time that you're avoiding the challenge or in that arena? Who's making progress in that arena? Who's going to go get the head of the debate team who's going to go, you know, make progress as an athlete or become the Broadway superstar because they were open to stepping into the challenge and okay with facing failure. This also might look like ruminating about weakness, mistakes, and failure. So rumination about things that you did wrong or being afraid of doing something wrong. It might be spending way more time in your head than in action. So you're so stuck in your head, spinning, 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 that you are and, and ruminating on things that you're not actually taking action. And so I call it brewing and stewing. And I've talked about this recently, but you're spending all this time brewing and stewing and you're not in action. And again, like who's getting ahead while you're just sitting there stuck in your head. 
And then lastly, maybe you're someone who spends twice as long, and this actually came up um, in a call recently, a group coaching call as well, spending twice as long on the last 10% of a project. So you work on something for like two hours and you're like, okay, like 90% done. But then you spend another two hours working on that last 10%. Well, what if you just submitted the project at 90% done? Could that have been good enough? In most cases, yes. Like now, if you're applying for your dream job, yes, like make it 100%. But if it's just like the monthly data report, if the data is correct, you don't need to worry about like having the perfect shade of green on the Excel spreadsheet column, you know? So that 10% where you're spending all this time on the thing that doesn't matter that much on the end when you could gain back that time and let 90% be good enough, Oh my goodness, a world of difference in terms of how you can keep moving through life, getting the things that you want and letting things go that don't really matter. So how do you start solving perfectionism? This is the part that's really important because this is about how can you get out of your own way, but it's also about how can we hold society responsible for what perfectionism as a social construct really is. So the first thing is to get mad. (laughs) And so to get really mad, to recognize the very real costs of your perfectionism, your socially prescribed perfectionism, and who has benefited from that. Who has benefited from you being stuck in perfectionism? Who has gotten the things that you want because you either never went for them or never finished them because you didn't think they were good enough or you were too scared and not shiny enough to put yourself out there in a big enough way to get the things that you want? Who benefited from that? Typically, it's middle-aged white men. So how does this relate now on a grander scale when we have masses and masses of women who subscribe to this subconsciously or consciously subscribing to this perfectionistic social construct? We have millions and millions of women now holding themselves back, not showing up, which creates space for millions and millions more men to show up and get the things that they want and get the power. So that's the first thing. It's like to get mad and recognize that this is happening and then catch it in yourself and in the rest of the, in the rest of the world when you see it showing up. Like when you ask someone to send you the report, say, send me the report and don't worry about custom coloring the columns like let people off the hook be like I don't want this I want the nuts and bolts I want the data I don't need it pretty let people off the hook tell them that you don't want them to be perfectionistic tell them to submit something and let it be b minus work tell them to send their emails without a salutation without a closing like let people be imperfect to just show up get the thing done at a good enough level and move on the next thing is catching yourself to make something to noticing that you're trying to make something a plus 100 percent and acknowledging the cost of you getting stuck in that mode versus if you could just do a B minus and move on with your day. I worked with an organization earlier this year and I had someone decide to do B minus emails and she emailed me after 24 hours and she's like, my whole entire life has changed since I started doing B minus emails. Like I'm not writing a whole introduction on like, hey, how are you? I hope you're having a great day. I hope that your Tuesday's going well. How's your dog? How's the kids? Blah, blah, blah. She's like, no, I'm sending like one sentence like, hey, here's what I need. Thanks. She's like, it's totally changed my life. Next is catching yourself in rumination and acknowledging that it is your socialization within a patriarchal society that is keeping you stuck in your head. So acknowledging that that's what the brewing is doing is about. And then you are, you'll be more able to kick those thoughts to the curb. After that, noticing the difference in your energy when you spend less time and energy by getting something off your plate faster, by doing something to a B minus level or a good enough level. What does that do to your energy to be like, okay, done. 
And then lastly, noticing where perfectionism is most likely to trip you up and then creating rules and workarounds to stop those patterns. So where does perfectionism most likely trip you up? Like years ago, I was I wanted Vinny to have drawers of cute little piles of cute little clothes. And then I realized, is this the hill I'm going to die on? Am I going to spend all this time folding his clothes into cute little piles that no one will ever see or care about? Or am I just going to say, hey, Vinny, the shirts go in that drawer and let him stuff them in there? So he's been stuffing his shirts in his drawer. Like, I don't know if this child will ever know how to fold a shirt. And does it really matter? Like, if he needs to figure it out, if he wants to figure it out in college, fine. He can figure it out then. Um, I will say he started to try folding a bit. It's not going super well, but also does it matter? No. And do I need to worry about it? Nope. Don't care. I know how to fold my clothes. And I want cute. If I want cute piles and stacks in my drawers, then I can have them. So noticing where you get tripped up and creating workarounds to stop those patterns to give that precious energy to something else that's actually significant. So as you think this through and process, I want you to probably listen to this episode more than once because it's a lot to take in. It's a lot of data. It's a lot of research and it's a lot of uh, unconditioning patterns and programming that have significantly likely impacted who you are and how you show up in the world. So listen more than once, share this episode. And I've given a lot of episodes or a lot of um, examples in here around how this impacts me. So just know that I'm talking to myself while I'm talking to you. And I'm in this with you always. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. you're the martyr in your family, you're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, 
we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.